ain't shit, leave him, bitch. The dick is not that good. Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I, as always, am Ethan Knight. This week, we watched a film called Sunrise. <sighs> Sunrise. This film came out in 1927 and is effectively about a pig that escapes a circus and gets drunk. L- yeah, that's, in fact, I don't even have to give a synopsis. <laughs> Not exactly what the film's about, but that did actually happen in the film. It was weird. So rather than trying to parse this in some unstructured way, why don't we have Ethan give us a plot synopsis? Dear listener, get ready for this very complicated film. In Sunrise, a woman from the city lingers in a small town on vacation. She's been conducting an affair with a man who is married who sneaks out at dinner time to see her. She suggests to them as they stand outside, I guess in the woods, in front of a lake, that he should sell his farm and drown his wife so that they can move to the city together. She gathers a bundle of bulrushes and tells him to use them to float back to shore after he kills his wife and capsizes the boat. He agonizes over it for a little bit, and then he asks his wife to go out on the boat with him. The dog escapes to try to warn the wife. It swims out to the boat and they take it back to land. Then the husband tries to attack her on the boat, but he stops. She escapes when they hit land and she runs out to the city. He reconciles with her and they enjoy the city and a carnival and like lunch and dinner and they drink a whole bunch and have a general good time. On their way home, back on the boat, A storm hits, and the boat is capsized. He offers the bulrushes, the flotation device, to his wife and washes up on shore alone and assumes his wife is dead. The city woman, from the beginning, thinks that he's gone through with his plan, and he comes out and is pissed and attacks her, and he's choking her, and he's choking her. A family member comes out and stops him because they had found his wife, And the film ends with the city woman heading back to the city and the husband and wife back in love. Yeah, so if this sounds a little vague to people, it's because this was ultimately a silent film. There were maybe six or eight title cards that told you two or three lines of what was going on. But I actually read that they disappear and become more and more infrequent throughout the movie Mm -hmm. because the director actually hated them. And so as they went further and further along, he just took, took them out. So... There's actually less than there ordinarily would have been in a film like this at that time. I believe that completely. And, I mean, dear listener, and Matt will attest, this film, it's threadbare. There's really not much that happens. It's kind of that the titles, we're not, the reason we haven't given anyone names, character names, is because the film doesn't. There's man, right. there's wife, and there's woman of the city or woman from the city, yeah. depending on where, where you source that from. And that's basically it. Like, there are other characters, but they don't do anything of substance in the film. Matt, my favorite character, oh, the, he's like the antagonistic man, is one of the, because we get the title cards at the beginning, right, and we get the credits. Mm-hmm. 
Is he the one in the barbershop that tries to pick up the wife? Yes. Yeah. He's like, it's not the antagonistic man. It's something like that, though. So, yeah, all the characters just are manicurist lady, nice man, antagonistic man. And my favorite thing is that the title cards are like, this could happen in any city, anywhere, at any time. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a fable, right? I mean, this is yes. supposed to be a, a fabulous in terms of, you know, being adjective a fable. Right. And so the intent is to say, look, you need to, well, let's do a weird thing, Ethan. Why don't I just <laughs> give us. you my, my thesis? Because this pertains immediately to it. I said, if we learn to appreciate the things that we have in life, every loss would be a tragedy. Yeah. So that is to say that the man doesn't appreciate the wife and even is considering drowning her. And of course, this is an agonistic struggle. He's not just doing this wholeheartedly agreeing to it, right? There's a rumor that he had to wear lead boots, like in actuality, like not metaphorically, to give his character the feel of, you know, when he Frankenstein monsters around everywhere. Yeah. Which I kind of wrote down like, okay, when they Mm -hmm. first got to the city after he fake attacks her, which he tries to choke her like he does eventually choke the woman from the city. Right. It's like Frankenstein and a mink penguin. Like, they're the two weirdest characters. He hunches and stomps her. I mean, it's a silent film, so So I guess you have to. You really have to ham it up. You got to choose scenery a lot. Yeah, it's, there's no, this is not a subtle film. No, no, by no means. Exactly. When he is agonizing over killing his wife, Dear dear listener, imagine a man scrunching up his face and agonizing over killing his wife. And that's this film. Yeah, he pretty much. Ha- he hop oh, boom, boom, boom. His shoulders are hunched and he's... Oh, ah, well, there is a middle 40 in which they just go to the city and do city antics. Yeah, they do shit that people do in the city. I guess, well, Matt, hold on. Let's dial it back a hot second. I guess I should read you my thesis. Sure. Because since we're going way out of order today as you know we're wont to I mean, do it's a, it's an atypical episode because it's an atypical film yeah it's a ways. it's a very strange film my thesis is really simply this love is the strongest thing it will overcome all temptation because if you love your wife enough then you won't strangle her basically i, I guess and throw her off a boat <laughs> which it's not really clear why the man even gives in to the it says in the title card he ruins himself with this woman of the with city. the woman in the city i'm not sure why he does that it seemed like they were very happy they had a child and they were right. happy farmers and it's so funny because olivia and i sat and watched this movie and olivia goes why does everybody want to fuck this guy like <laughs> he the only we went back and forth on this and she goes he just must have a big dick there's no re so why the manicurist is holding his hand up and it's like oh oh she had big hands oh because he's sweaty he need he's not i mean he's not ugly but he's not great looking but they're simple country folk and that's put through in that scene where they're dancing the right midsummer dance right the peasant the peasant dance. dance but why does the woman from the city want him it makes no sense i think it's i think it's because she's evil she's just an evil woman who wants well she's also she's she wants to sample she's appropriating culture sexually right oh yeah because she lingers in the town she stays on vacation too late she stayed past welcome yeah and she's obviously not has the same modesty as everyone else i was actually very surprised the lack of modesty that was shown in i know we see her like take her clothes off i mean you see her back but 
It was that. Uh, it was pretty racy, and I think it's just before the codes, and I think that yeah, that's definitely why that was that was okay. So when I first started seeing this in in how this woman from the city is ruining this man, this farmer, I thought, oh, this is a tale of the pastoral values of the countryside versus the yeah. urbanization, mechanization, industrialization. But that doesn't hold up because what actually causes the man and wife to reconcile is everything they do in the city, which is kind of bizarre because I was like, oh, okay, I know this. I know what's going on. I understand this. And then that simply doesn't happen. It doesn't right. fall through. It's a, this is a weird film, Matt. Right. And so I think I actually want to pivot us to the pivotal scene. Pivot, yeah. pivotal scene. See what I did there? The scene that I picked for this was, was I guess, the scene of the film. The reason I, I have to believe it was put on the list. And it's that dramatic irony. I'm not sure if it's exactly dramatic irony, but I think it's near enough. Apparently, the city is just a boat ride away from their lake, which <laughs> the geography would just really not pan out there. But let's give it, let's just take that for granted. Well, because Matt, Matt, the geography doesn't matter because this can happen it can anywhere. can happen anywhere. That's right. <laughs> There's like a sign that says like the Nationals, and you're like, "Yep, that's a generic, right. generic town sign." Uh, so they're in the boat, and the sudden storm strikes, and as they're clearly about to capsize, the man gives his wife the bulrushes he had intended to use to save himself when he intentionally capsized the boat. But now he's doing it to save her because he wants her to live because he's deeply in love with her and he's reconciled with her. And the city has healed them in a weird way. Right, and I do have to say this because I asked myself this question watching this film. Bull, bull rushes, bull rushes. Yeah, is that is that your flotation device? Is First of all, why can no one swim in this film? Yeah, you, you can't just swim home. You, you have to have bull rushes. Well, in this in this case, she gets knocked out, so that makes sense with the right. bull rushes. But if you're gonna have a flotation device, is that the is that the best you can do? bull rushes? Clearly not, because the boat capsizes. They both get knocked out and washed up. She is floating in the water with the bulrushes, and he gets washed up in a cave and is fine. Right, know? he's so, fine. Exactly. What the fuck do you need the bulrushes for? Anyway. Right. So just you know, for because this is a fable, you know, this is a fable, a parable, True. and right. so I think the bulrushes add that extra little pastoral nature to it. Right. So he uses what he intended to be his lifeline after the murder to save his wife in a disaster or crisis. Right. And so I, I picked that scene. There's not going to be any audio for this one, yes. guys, because like I said, it's a, it's a silent film, <laughs> and you don't get a whole lot from the musical cues, honestly. Yeah. So. question i have for this there are many scenes in this film because it's 
a silent film, and those are scare quotes if you can't see them, uh, dear listener. But they um, can't. Of course they can't. But it's a silent film, but there is, of course, a score, and there are quite a few sound effects, and some of those sound effects are voices. So, again, I don't understand why this is a silent film. Fun fact, The Jazz Singer came out the same year and this film kind of tanked at the box office because once they found sound in The Jazz Singer, people wanted to see that instead of this. Right. So that's actually a little insight into it. They they obviously could have done it and they did some interesting things with like superimposition of images, which we'll get to in, in holding up later. Mm-hmm. But it was a kind of revolutionary film in terms of sound design, but it wasn't in the way that people wanted to see it, which was actually voices. Right, and yeah, I mean, I will give it that. The sound in this film is really cool, and they do do some really cool things with sound design, but again, because we get sound that's, I mean, we get sound that syncs up. I mean, cars honk their horns. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, we hear voices. It just doesn't make sense that there aren't, it's, it's like a self-imposed handicap. Well, Ethan, I don't think of it that way. I think of it this way. It's 1927. You, don't, you may not realize these kinds of things. So think about now, if we were to fast forward 100 years and people write books a whole different way, right? They, they spiral. They, they do all sorts of postmodern elements. You wouldn't think when you sat down that writing left to right down a page is a handicap. True. That's just how you write, you know? So the fact that they incorporated sound in that way in the jazz singer and not something like in Sunrise, A Tale of Two Humans, is because it just never occurs, right? Because that innovation hasn't been pressed yet. Right. I guess you're right. They're working within a set of constraints that. I'm not necessarily thinking of as a constraint, right? Like, I'm like, why? Right, it's like the evolution of, of media, just like the evolution yeah. of animals. You know, there yeah. might be some weird accidental step that's actually super fortuitous for that for that species, but it's not something that's by design. And really. it is, yeah, and it is so bizarre. I'm glad you pointed this out because I didn't know this, that it, I well, I mean, I guess I knew in some region of my brain, but it hadn't clicked that Jazz Singer was the same year. And that, so I guess maybe there's something about the proximity of these films together that you're like, really? And I was actually looking at the list. I think the 2008 AFI list has Jazz Singer on there and does not have Sunrise. Interesting. So it is a kind of a fluid, fluid idea, these two things. And Jazz Singer is a terribly awful racist film. I mean. Right. I've never seen it and have only heard of it, but just also listening to the title, you think, oh boy, in 1927, something called Jazz Singer might be might be worse than um, Yankee Doodle Dandy's oh, blackface it, No, it is. Because listen, I've only, I have not seen the whole thing, but I have seen clips. And the Jazz Singer ends with a blackface minstrel song. Like, he sings. Kind of like Yankee Doodle Dandy. Sort of like Yankee Doodle Dandy, but like turned up to like 11 it's it's not it's rough yeah so returning to what i wanted to say about the pivotal scene if we, we listen to the audio from it at least a clip of it, it gives you the idea of the tension you're supposed to feel as these things are playing mm-hmm. out and it is sufficiently tense once i saw that scene i said oh, okay i get it up to that point i did not know why this this film was on the list i eventually read about the sound design and sort of their innovation in that department but up to that point i could not figure it out but I saw it and I said, okay, this reminds me of John Paul Sartre's or Sartre, depending on your pronunciation, his uh, story, The Wall, right? This is mm-hmm. exactly what happens. Something accidentally fulfills something prior, right? It's a prisoner who gets taken out and is going to be executed unless he reveals the location of his 
their rebel leader, basically, is what it amounts to. I'm, I'm super compartmentalizing this. Where are your rebel friends now? He gives them a fake location, and it just so turns out that the leader of their cause moves to that location, which happens to be the graveyard. And so he is actually spared because he gave them a correct location unknowingly, right? right. So this is kind of a consequentialist philosophy argument, right? He had no intent to give up the the location, but he didn't actually he did actually give up the location. So he was rewarded for that, but his intentions weren't behind that. So you can get to like Kantian ethics and things like that, but we'll right. put all that aside. Sunrise captures this obviously well before John Paul gets around to it. This is what I'll say though. In fact, I disagree with you about your assertion of why this is on the list. Okay. I I think that this is on the list because it's beautiful. I mean, the cinematography is really cool. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like that that I agree with. Like And I think I'm that and that hits and that hits before the Oh, yeah, the story sucks. Fuck the story. This film plot-wise is garbage. Well, you know that I I really cue into the story and yes. character development in all the films. And so I couldn't find a reason for that to be on the, on the list until that moment. And I was like, Oh, that's a neat turn of events. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like the wall, but you're right. The cinematography, the way in which they capture landscape by creating landscape. Yes. It's actually really neat. And all the cool, all these transitions they do. I mean, there is some really neat stuff that happens visually. Well, yeah, let's stop dancing around it and let's yeah. get to our three questions let's and we'll do just it. answer those questions immediately. So first question, Ethan, do we care about this film? Well, I would have to say that we care about this film because of the cinematography. And I was thinking about it as I was watching this film. And there are some, some things that happen in this film in terms of you know, visual transitions and just visual juxtapositions. So a visual transition that I'm thinking of that I want to kind of cue in for our, yeah. our listeners is the opening scene, it shows the city and it's a still. Yes. And then that still comes to life with people moving mm-hmm. and actual a model train that looks like a real train mm-hmm. riding by. So you, the use of miniatures, so still to miniatures also inter, intertwined and meshed with actual photography Mm -hmm. and to do all that so seamlessly is really shows a technical mastery yes of film and the fact that all this is being done practically because it's 1927 there's no semblance of digital technology i i'm thinking too there's a great shot where the husband is he's you know uh, mulling over this like fact that he's gonna kill his wife and the woman from the city it, she's sort of a ghost in that oh, right. scene yeah. where right and, that one. yeah and she's like rubbing on his body this sort of you know i mean it says you know it's a transparent sort of mm-hmm. image imposition yeah yeah and so she's rubbing his body her face is behind him on the other she's side his neck and things yeah on the other side it's it's her just her eyes like so she's she haunts this image another good example of the superimposition is when man and wife are walking through the city street mm-hmm. as the cars are passing. Yes. Which this film also really tells you how dangerous the roads were in 1927. Oh my God, I know. No People wonder. People got fu- hit by cars all the time. Exactly. Gatsby makes so much more sense when, you know, people are getting run the fuck down because these yeah. cars are just flying, man. Yeah. No pedestrian right away. No. Existed back then. There are no traffic laws. Exactly. But you're right. That scene where they're walking and they're in the city street and it turns into this sort of 
forest becomes like a meadow or an orchard something like that yeah and then it snaps back and then they yeah so there's some really cool cinema uh cinematographical that's maybe not a word there's a bunch of yeah no we we've tried we've stumbled over this like five or six times yeah cinematographical Cinema, is it cinematographical? Is that how you say it? At least that's what we're deciding in, in our canon, <laughs> our canonical episode. It's cinematographical. Yeah. But I mean, that it's, it is some really cool stuff that even major, seriously major blockbuster films today don't even get near. Because they just rely on CGI and, and, and fail to realize that that doesn't look right sometimes. Right. I mean, and, and it's a kind of storytelling that, you know, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a story that is literally you know man wants to cheat on wife that, that's the story basically that's the story but it gets livened up by the cinematographical elements yeah the innovation that was pushed with sound which is not necessarily vocal audio as right. it turns out which is part of its downfall right popularly but you know them's the breaks i guess yeah so i think this really does lead us into the second question what do we owe and if i could take a stab at this take you know it, sort of our, our return to practical effects today in 2017 mm. with a lot of films like you know star wars does that a lot mm. or they pride themselves at least a lot on doing that in the newest films yeah and other films are of course following suit and doing more interesting things in star wars of course star wars is not the ultimate of <laughs> right cinema but, but yeah all this kind of goes back to films like this that did this so well, that did practical effects, not because they chose to, because that's all they had, and so they made it damn good. Right. I, I agree with you 100% that there is something about visual... the and, and, I mean, they're pushing the limits of what you can do visually, and they're doing it in a way that is completely practical. And so you see some of these these shots where you've got things in the foreground and things in the background that are sort of imposed... The, and these sort of split screen shots there's there's some really cool things happening that we can see in you know contemporary cinema for today um especially in you know films that kind of push the the boundaries you know we're talking and about they were doing this 90 years ago yeah 90 years ago you've got people doing things i mean in a lot of ways this film visually at least in parts looks really modern i mean that's the only way we we kept watching this thing, right? The oh my god, I know. Engaging in large part, there's no dialogue. I so know. You can't really turn away. You have to watch to get the gestural language of things. You have to. And because it looks so beautiful in those ways, the only reason we got through an hour and a half, I think. No, no, I agree. And and of course, this film was about 45 minutes too long. But anyway, let's make yeah. it to the next question before we shit yeah, so too much on this movie. <laughs> our final question: Does this film hold up? Uh, and I would say, in parts, yes. As a whole absolutely not it's too fucking long it's too long and nothing happens but in the first like 30 minutes and then in intervals from then on it is beautiful and it looks like something that could be made today and that would premiere it like sundance this should be a short film right this should be yes. like a cinema version of a, vin- a vignette because that carnival scene i understand why it was probably there in 1927 it's 40 minutes of them doing carnival stuff or being in the city getting haircuts getting their picture taken it's all kind of funny but that's their 
that's their comic relief. That is the the carnival for the audiences. That is what people are going there for. At least part spectacle. Right? It's spectacle, right? Spectacle. I mean, think about it as spectacle in 1927. I mean, that's some serious shit. Let's be honest. I mean, 2017 audiences are not above spectacle in the least. I mean, there's a reason superhero films, right? Do, you know, gangbusters. But right. But this doesn't for me. This would be a that. 30 minute 30 minutes parable film. When I hear parable, I think of short. Mm-hmm. And this is a parable that is that is feature film length yeah and i'll say this matt this film listen we have watched some long ass movies <laughs> yep i mean we're talking three hour movies that we've watched on we, this just, thing. we just came off titanic you know? right and i've seen seven samurai this film felt longer than titanic and ben-hur together i was i i was sitting there with olivia and i was like when is this when is this over like how we made it because because the climax i mean when he almost kills her on the boat happens like 25 minutes in and so i was like we have another hour 15 on this how, wow. I kept thinking, where do they go like this film right, what, wrapped up right what's Carnival, gonna happen they go? they go to the circus right you they watch go to a the piglet s- piglet get drunk a pig get drunk hey listen uh, dear listener, if you like watching pigs get fucked up, this is your movie right here. <laughs> and I suspect that that pig was probably actually drunk, honestly. No, listen, Olivia and I, as we watched this, had a had a discussion about it. I think what was happening was that the camera was stable and the room was being moved because that pig. Oh, because the pig keeps keeps falling down. Yeah, I think they were moving the floor, but they had it set up so that the camera would be would appear stable. That's my theory. I don't know. I mean, that sounds really interesting. And I, I, I totally wouldn't put it past them because they do have a technical mastery of all this practical effects. And yes. that would just be right in line with it. So you might be right. I, I, yeah. I won't gainsay you there. Yeah. So for as much as we could, we've maybe shit on this movie a little bit, we also, I mean, I will sit here and say, you. I think you put it really well, Matt, when you said it. it's got technical mastery. This is some serious, serious uh, understanding of the craft in a in a in a physical way right literally a physical way they're dealing with film all that being said however you know if i answer the question does this hold up i'm going to say no i think the intent of this question when we first visualized it you know way back just about a year ago Mm -hmm. was is this something that a modern audience can watch and enjoy and I think the the answer, the prevailing answer for that anyway, is no. Is no, yeah. I think if you're interested in film, if you're interested in practical effects, you're interested in cinema in the old days, right? 90 years ago, how they did these things, how they accomplished, you know, honestly, a couple beautiful shots. The, the village, as they approach it on the boat, looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a miniature. I mean, you have to imagine it's not. Yeah. A, they didn't build a huge set like that. Although they did build a lot of that city set. It's not a real place. Mm-hmm. They built a lot of that. Yeah. It's amazing, but it's not going to be watchable for a modern, modern film because it's a silent film. Yeah, exactly. It's part of it, and the rest of it is because it's not really an engaging story. Right, yeah. And so I guess my answer to that is to say, you know, watch the, watch parts of this film. Don't watch the whole thing. You don't need to see the whole thing. Come I agree. on. You don't need to see the whole thing. You know, like, you know what I mean? You know the story and see the beautiful parts. Don't watch the 45 minutes of them in the goddamn city, like, throwing. What was it? It was like, throw a ball at the hole, get the pig to slide. Boo. That went on like three, four minutes, which was ridiculous. 
Oh, it was just it just was long. Again, it has beautiful moments. And actually this there were shots that reminded me this will this is a throw a throw out, a shout out, shout out. This is a shout out to our Patreon supporters who listened to us talk about 28 days later. There's a beautiful shot in 28 days later that is actually really similar to some of these juxtaposed shots in this film. I mean, it's, it seems like a very clear visual reference to some of the stuff they're doing, where you've got, like, somebody's face at the bottom of a picture or of, of an image of the city, right, which looks a lot like some of the things they're doing in this. Techniques hold up as a whole. Abs- it just doesn't. It's just it's hard to watch. Yeah, so kind of a mixed bag. So Yeah. Well, why don't we look forward then? Next week, we're back on Patreon with our super secret bonus content edition for patrons of the arts only. Yes. For their ears only. And it is me picking a current film. Oh, it's your turn, isn't it? Probably on Redbox. I have not picked a film yet because I. Well, it's my sister's wedding this weekend, so that's my excuse. I will put up in our show notes for this episode the film yes no let me suggest a film to you that is a new film I like this suggest a film to me (sighs) because I watched it this afternoon and I think you might get a kick out of it how would you feel about Swiss Army Man I've never even heard of this what really no Matt and our dear listeners go watch the trailer for it it's just go watch that. I have nothing else to say. It's just one of those dumb films that... Oh, it's got Daniel Radcliffe. At the very least, even if this does not become our Patreon episode, go watch this trailer. It's I'll do that. fucking ridiculous. And that's... So whatever I ultimately decide on, it will be posted in the show notes this episode. Good. But two weeks from now, we're back here on our canonical list. We're going to be watching a little film called Spartacus. Oh my god, we're going to watch Spartacus. Yeah, watching Spartacus. I I think everyone knows that line, so it should be an interesting film to talk about our perceptions of the film and then the actuality of the reality of that film itself. But until then, I've been Matt Pazell. Oh, God, and I'm Ethan fucking Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Pazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Pazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much have we a count of prisoners We haven't made the final count, sir. I bring a message from your master, Marcus Licinius Crassus, commander of Italy. By command of his most merciful excellency, 
Your lives are to be spared. Slaves you were, and slaves you remain. But the terrible penalty of crucifixion has been set aside on the single condition that you identify the body or the living person of the slave called Spartacus. I'm Spartacus! 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 I